you're inside of a system where it's federally illegal for you to be yourself. And so you practice that, you get to know that, right? You build a lifestyle around that. You learn the don't ask, don't tell in every aspect of your life. Welcome to Balancing Life's Issues, the podcast. And today we're here to continue the celebration of Black History Month and specifically a resilient mindset. Um, and to help us do that, I'm here with John Ebron. How are you, John? Hey, how are you, Kai? I'm doing well. John is a, I don't know, I'm pretty, yes, you are a top trainer uh, here at BLI. You're well, constantly think- getting kudos. Um, and I wanted to bring you on, not only because you're black, but because your expertise is in personal growth and development. With the backdrop of Black History Month, you know, the importance of story. Um, so, John, tell tell our audience about yourself. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You know, I, I've been super excited about this opportunity to, to speak on this. I've been thinking about, you know, Black History Month. And the fact, this is a celebration, right, of, mm-hmm. of our history. And but you have to know what you're celebrating, right? Right. And right. so I've been thinking a lot about my stories. When, when I think about sharing my story, you know, my story largely starts, you know, way, way back. Um, I'm from a little small farming community, you know, out of, I claim Greenville, North Carolina, because you can find that on a map, <laughs> but I'm at okay. a little city next to it called Bethel. Um, you know, I'm from, I'm from a small farming community myself, north of Omaha, Nebraska, a place uh, called is Blair. That, is that right? Okay. All right. That's right. <laughs> well, Bethel is a little bitty small city. I mean, so according to the census, we're about, you know, teaming with about maybe 2000 people. Ooh, okay, I had you by 8,000. We were 10,000 strong in Bethel. Uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and so Little City separated two-thirds, one-third by a railroad track, right? Mm, and okay. all the white people stayed on the one-third side. All the black people sure. stayed on the two-thirds side. And there were no other people, <laughs> right? Yeah. What year What year would this have been when you were growing up? So, Not to age you, yeah, but just for yeah. historical context so we could place it. I was born in 19... Right? <laughs> <laughs> So the eight, the seventies, maybe the mid seventies, the mid seventies. Mid seventies, okay. Yeah, gotcha. And so, um, so again, if you think about it, not incredibly long ago, right? But no, there's so much has taken place in between now and then. But anyway, so, um, so if you picture again uh, on the one third side, right, the white side, this is where the the supermarket, the bank, the police office. Uh, the library, you know, all of the, the you know, life support for the city was on that side. And on, on uh-huh. the black side, we had Johnny's Market where we shot pool and did drugs. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> got it, got and it. So there was, it was that kind of setup that I was kind of brought into the world, right? right. So That was the world you knew at that time, at, which yeah. is only 10 years from the civil rights movement. Like, that's the thing when we're talking about this. It wasn't that long ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so you can imagine what that does to the mindset. It puts us in that survival state, right? Mm, right. Uh, we're not trying to flourish, grow, be our best. We're just trying to make it, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So for me to throw fuel onto that fire, right, I quickly, well, not quickly, <laughs> but I would say at, at a young age, I began to realize that I was also gay. Mm. Now, I did not have enough letters to spell the word gay back in those sure. days. Right? I had no idea. Yeah meant but i knew it made me different inside of a population that already felt different yeah you're already on that side of the tracks like is there another side of the tracks right (laughs) exactly exactly so for me to survive it felt like i also had to 
um, shut myself off from my own people. Mm. Right. So right. the sentiment was we're already down and discouraged and you're going to add another degree of separation right. on top yeah. of that. Right. So um, so I, I grew up largely that way. And so I moved through, you know, into my military career and what made I you, made it, you what made you want to do military? You know, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I had no inclination. I'm the youngest of five kids, right? My my three older uh, brothers, they all went to the military. Then my sister, then myself. I had no intentions of joining the military. Um, and it was just kind of was a happenstance opportunity uh, that was a way up, yeah. right? So it was, it was a way to out of that, mm. that uh, environment. Yeah. Uh, but all of my baggage I took with me sure. into that environment. Of course. That was one of the first things I learned about that resilient mindset. We teach about resilience as if we start with a clean slate. Right. You know, no, there's a lot of unlearning we have to do in order yeah. to get into the life we want to live. Right? right. And so what I learned is my value was strictly tied up into what I do. OK, so like your skill set. Yes, yes, exactly. Right. Your happiness was my responsibility. And if you're not happy, I'm not safe. So I had to become a very mm. skilled person in order to create a safe environment for myself, right? Like like you were in control. Yeah, in, in a way. Well, well, actually, in a, like you're less human and you're more of an element for control for another person, right? You're you're for the use of that other person. Okay. So okay. Um, if you put three people around. Well, you're for the use of another person. So that to me sounds dangerous and familiar. Uh, um. You know, I, I'm someone who has ended up in some unfortunate situations because I was giving so much of myself away mm-hmm. without first filling myself up. Absolutely. And that's something I had to unlearn through lots of therapy, right. <laughs> you know, right. uh, through lots of help. I think, you know, part of, you know, what you do and, and what you've been through um, that unlearning process. So, so as you got to the military, is that kind of where that unlearning process started or, or how did you get to that place? My strategy of earning my right versus having human right, right? Oh, yeah. My strategy of earning my right quickly became an, a prison for me. Wow. Right? So now I have to operate at this level and increasingly higher levels. And it was just that crucible, that, that pressure of all of that coming down to me constantly that forced me into saying, no, I'm not going to stay in this mindset. No, I'm going to not. I'm not going to stay positioned this way. I deserve to be healthy, happy and whole, just like everyone else. I'm not just for your utilization. I need to get my power back. Right. I deserve to be here. And, um, you know, so it took pressure to push me into that direction versus a community that encourages and teaches you your worth. And so what what else was going on in that time? It seems like a pressure cooker, like just one thing after another. You're not being honest with yourself. You're only giving away. And like what else was going on at that time that like it felt like like a boiling point where maybe you did you boil over? Well, you know, I think it was for me, it was the exposure of the work I was doing. Like, ironically, my work centered around the spiritual and emotional growth of others, right? So when I joined- <laughs> here you are not being honest with yourself. Exactly. Wow. Right? So yeah. I was learning all of these various different ways of teaching and helping people to see that you're worth it, 
while simultaneously holding on to this idea that I wasn't worth it, right? So um, I worked in the chaplain's corps. And so we did family resilience. And then I worked with our uh, Ready Resilient campaign, which focused on learning about yourself, right? So as I began to learn all these skill sets to teach other people, it began to kind of gravitate towards myself, right? So it, you know, over time, I began to learn, unlearn this idea that, you know, life was just something that was done to me and I've got to exist and survive it versus life is an opportunity and Mm. I get to craft it and shape it, you know, uh, into whatever direction I want to to take it. Wow, it's beautifully said. And so, but as your time in the military, I mean, were you, I'm not sure what the breakdown is in the military in terms of race, ethnicity. Did you feel like an outsider in the military being black? Uh, to some degree, to some degree. You know, so I carry it with me that my blackness was only safe uh, when it was when it was covered. Okay. Right. Like even in the black community. And again, this this came from, you know, the combination of things, right? The combination of being black, but also being gay and uh, the pressure cooker of that, you know, reality, right? Was that um, <clears throat> if I was to celebrate my blackness, it was also like a tainting of, of blackness, right? Because I lived in an era where being gay was not something that was remotely celebrated, right? So it was not something that I could attach onto, if that makes sense. Was that because of Don't Ask, Don't Tell? Well, I really experienced a lot of Don't Ask, Don't Tell before I even got into the military, right? God, wow. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, but yeah. definitely there, right? So I'm working in the military. Okay. And people, I don't think that people understand the impact of that, right? So the, the, the policy, the federal law, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, was actually designed to be a protective law for gay and lesbian and tri- transgender bisexual people, right? Um but it was mm-hmm. quickly turned into a witch hunt. You know, the intent right. was leave them alone. Don't ask. Right. Right. And so the mm-hmm. way that it began to get carried out was you better not tell. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, right. So, so you're, you're inside of a system where it's federally illegal for you to be yourself. Mm. And so you practice that. You, you get to know that. Right. You build a lifestyle around that. You can't just stop on a dime and turn away from that lifestyle and say, oh, but in this area, I'm going to live out and be, you know, my full expression of myself as a black man. Yeah. Yeah. You learn to don't ask, don't tell in every aspect of your life. Right. Yeah. You know, so many of our topics are just kind of flying into view for me, like burnout. Like, were you feeling burnout at that time? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. So workaholic was my drug of choice. (laughs) <laughs> so mm. you know and which is a form of escapism right exactly. like you, you can choose alcohol you can choose overworking overcompensating um yeah and that, that's a form of it yeah just yeah. working hours and hours and hours and hours staying away from yourself that was my cover that's what i defended myself with i'm so busy right uh-huh. so becoming a workaholic was my way of shielding myself yeah and keeping people so, away from so yeah and like so with the context uh-huh. of black history I think what was really profound for me, you know, I've had all these conversations this month and it, you know, it's about celebrating negative because through that is we discover our resilience and, you know, we overcome adversity and that's something that's relatable. 
you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I've I've struggled with with mental health. I've struggled with um, substance abuse. There's just so many aspects of our lives that if we just learn about one another, we can educate ourselves and we can just have have a conversation. Um, because it it was it wasn't the fact that you were gay that surprised me. It it was because I've been working with you for so long. So when I found out, I was like, oh. What it did for me was it just like created depth, right? It created a foundation that I know John stands on um, or umami call it, right? Like there's just, there's more there now that you you teach this programming. Like there's so much to appreciate about you that just makes it so much more profound. I, you know, I think for me, dealing with the disparity of, you know, the the isolation that came through that that aspect of my life it made me very empathetic in other for other demonstrations of that right so um we, you mentioned earlier about like the this, you know the black to white ratio um in my field there was a, a good blending right but the 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 power structure was not so much so right so of course you know the more higher up you went uh, in our in our field was predominantly older white men, right? And so when I would mm -hmm. see how oftentimes uh, black individuals would kind of twist themselves, right, in order to comply with that that hierarchy, that 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 schema, um, although it wasn't the same pressure of being gay and being discriminated against, it transferred for me. And I understood that, but it wasn't just, it didn't just stop there. It was also, you know, when I had to provide services for the single parent um, who was kind of feeling shunned for being a single mom, for example, in a you know community where there were more of a, a, a traditional family structure and, you know, how to learn how to stand up on their own two feet for the first time, or maybe someone that was struggling with some sort of gambling addiction or drug addiction, which something that was frequently um, that I was providing support for in my office, right? Like, how do you deal with being in a disadvantaged perspective? And if you are serving someone and you don't have empathy for that, it's very difficult for you to provide that quality service. So I found a way to take my personal mm. pain and to get motivation to kind of heal through that so that I could use that pain in service for others. So so you're starting to flip the script a little bit for yourself, whereas at first you weren't addressing any of yourself, but still giving. Here you are now addressing yourself and through that discovery are, are giving that back. Is that kind of how I'm hearing it? Perfectly, that's, that's a great way of seeing it, yeah. And so I used to serve because it was my survival strategy, right? Yeah. Now I want to serve because it is my purpose. It's, as you were saying earlier, it's really about uh, keeping your cup full, right? Reclaiming your power, not giving because you're scared, but giving because mm -hmm. you are qualified and you're worthy, right? And not just what you do, but who you are, yeah. all of that deserves to be honored, right? For me, I, that's what I think about when I think about Black history. Mm. You know, it is amazing now to see so many different aspects of life that is now being exposed that uh, that Ameri Black Americans were the impetus for those innovations, uh, those elevations for our entire nation, right? So mm -hmm. um, it's about reclaiming all of who you are. 
yeah. right? And not allowing that to uh, take on a pathway where um, you're denigrated, you're put down mm -hmm. in the service of the greater good, right? Yeah. So we have to stay healthy, happy, and whole. And so in order to do that, we have to really be able to acknowledge who we all are, you know, our, our complete selves, and then let that be the driving force to the things that we do and how we show up in the world. Wow. So, so John, if you were to go back to that place, maybe your darkest moment, right? The moment before that pressure cooker went off, what would John today tell that person? Wow. Ah, what would John today tell that John at the deepest, darkest mo moments of his Years life? of experience, thousands yeah. of trainings. What would you tell that person? I would tell John, <laughs> you are completely different in the way that you are unique, right? Your uniqueness is not mm. um, a shortcoming or um, a liability. Your uniqueness, you were crafted and fashioned by your experiences and everything else that is involved with that, right? Right. Uh, to be unique. And that is something that you should capitalize on, mm. right? And you are completely the same in the way that you deserve to be here. You're worthy of life like every other human on the planet. And, and to defend that fiercely, right? Fiercely, to right. Fiercely defend yeah. that. That if anyone or anything uh, even attempts to threaten your worthiness, then it is not something to passively uh, experience. You take on with aggression that you deserve to be here, mm. and that this is not some. This is not up for debate, right? Yeah. Um, right. And if you don't do that, there's no platform for your uniqueness to to you know be seen in by the world, right? So. All of that is required. Oh, wow. So so beautifully said. And, you know, for, for anybody out there who's listening who is struggling on reclaiming their power, you know, we, you look to like personal growth and development. That's your that's your bread and butter, so to speak. What's what's maybe one thing or, or a couple things to start that process or get things in motion? Because it's such a vulnerable time. It's such a scary time. Um, and this may sound cliche, but go within. Go, go within. There is always, uh, as as Maya, Dr. Maya Angelou would say, you know, there's you you have to create a space in your heart that you keep clean and pristine because that is where you meet God, right? That is where you meet your innermost self, right? And so, no matter what outside influences are out there that's trying to dictate one thing or the other, there is always a space and a time where you can go in and be with yourself. Right. So as a rule, one of the things I'm always saying in our trainings is self-awareness generates self-regulation. Right. So it's not about focusing on the things that you do first. It's about focusing on yourself. So as disconnected and as irrelevant as it may seem, little practices like um, you, practicing your self-talk with yourself, by yourself, you no, know, repetitively, right? Like spending <laughs> yeah. three minutes in the mirror yep. saying, you know what? You're the guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, and it may seem like, okay, John, that's icing on the cake. That's something nice to do. No, no, no. That is essential. Mm -hmm. That is essential. When you begin to identify yourself so strongly in these very positive ways, 
it becomes an impossibility for you to accept being seen any other way, right? So yeah. that's what I would say start with yourself. John, you know, thank you so much for your message um, around, you know, Black History Month and sharing your story um, and, you know, your continued um, effort in this world. Um, you're you're a shining star and, and you know, BLI loves to have you around. So thanks again for your time today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. This has been a production of Balancing Life's Issues with your hosts, Kai Sorensen and Wendy Walner. Produced by me, Kai. Rate, leave a review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen so you can get brand new episodes as they drop. Got an idea for the show? Email me, kai at balancinglifesissues.com. Anything to add, Miles? <laughs>